0: Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you today. Uh, Before we get rolling here, today's topic is PG-13. We are going to be talking about sex. And so if you brought an elementary age kiddo in and weren't uh, aware that that's what we're talking about today, uh, right over there is Rachel Brosma, our uh, kids director. And she will gladly take your kiddos back to age-appropriate programming for them with our awesome volunteers. So don't feel bad if you need to get up and take a kid over there. That's why they're in here. We just want to make sure we're safe here, all right? Uh, Because this topic is a little bit more sensitive. Um, So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start off where we left off last week. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read, well, I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to read that. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity just to hear from your word, to uh, read what you uh, find important when it comes to marriage, uh, the truths that you speak about sex. And so I just ask God that you would right now by your Holy Spirit surround this room, speak to our hearts, open our ears. And Father, would you allow us to just learn from you today? Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful for you. We pray these things in your precious name, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 31 is where we left off, so we're going to pick up there, same place. It says this, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What we want to unpack today as we talk about this topic is this idea of a great mystery, that it is the two becoming one, an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And we want to continue to have that conversation. We've been talking about that over this duration of this series. Uh, But where does sex play into that? How do we understand sex within uh, the marriage relationship? And so I thought I would use uh, Tim Keller's a definition in the book, Meaning of Marriage, he says this about marriage. It's a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect the saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create a stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. So of course, God would use marriage as the one thing that would uh, reflect his relationship to the church through Christ Jesus. Uh, It's no surprise then that the one place that Satan would attack the most is marriage. Um, He has no desire for this to be uh, what God intended it to be. uh, And therefore, he uses things such as sex to just, I can't think of the word now. It just lost, it just went out of my mind. Anyways, distort. Distort. There it was. (laughs) I lost it for a second. Uh, Thank you. To distort what God wanted in the beginning, Uh, which brings me to the point for today. And that's this. Marriage is the only relationship that includes sex. It's the only relationship. The Bible tells us that. Uh, We know that uh, from what we read in the Word. And so uh, today in the room this size, we have people on both sides of this spectrum. Uh, Some of you grew up in the church in the 80s and 90s where you heard little to nothing about sex. Um, Or you heard that sex is filthy, dirty, and disgusting, so save it for the one you love. Right? (laughs) And that's what you heard, right? Like, it's all those things until you get married. In fact, a man I know a couple uh, that were good friends with that the husband struggled with this and has continued to struggle with this within their marriage. He was told it's dirty, disgusting, and filthy, and you don't want to have anything to do with it. And then one day he says two words, I do, at a wedding ceremony, and now it's not all those things. And in fact, um, he's been in, they've been in years of counseling, trying to work through what the church taught him. That's not what God designed. The other side of that is, is what our culture is telling our young people today. that Sex is just about consumerism. It's about me and my happiness and my fulfillment and my joy. And you know what? If that person doesn't make me happy and fulfill me in sex, then I'm just going to move on to the next person. That's not at all what God designed. And so wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, I, we need to understand this in a healthy way because this is something that's very near and dear and important to God. It's something that it means a lot to him and matters to him. And the problem with, especially today's view of sex, our culture's view of sex, is that it's lack of any true relationship. I mean, the truth is, is that yes, sex is a physical act, but there's also the emotional and the spiritual side that God intended it to to have. And our culture would say, well, those two things are existent in these relationships. And so what is the truth? The truth is that God created sex to be the fullest experience of our emotions, our spirits, and our physical beings. It's the deepest human experience with another person that we could experience. So how do we know this? Well, turn with me back to Genesis chapter one. We're going to read this once again and think about it in a different way this time. Genesis chapter one, verse 27, God tells us, so God created the human beings in his own image. In the image of a God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. Chapter 2, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. You see, as God's creating man, he creates the idea of sex within marriage right there so that what, for what reason? So they could multiply and so that could become their own family. He leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. This is important to God. This is the beginning. This is creation that we're talking about. When God brings this idea to fruition and looks at it and says, this is very good. I right had on the last day when he created this, very good. So marriage is, again, only within the relationship. Excuse me, marriage is, <laughs> sex is good within only marriage, Right? It's much more than just a physical act. I wrote this down and i <laughs> thinking about the fact that I was going to say sex so many times today, but um, we're here. So sex doesn't make God uncomfortable. God isn't ashamed of sex. He isn't awkward when it's talked about. In fact, he's proud when it's talked about in light of what he created it to be. He's glorified when it's practiced within the context he created it for. And he's delighted when we partake in what he created for the marriage relationship. So to tell one generation that's filthy, dirty, and disgusting is actually offensive towards God. To tell another generation it's just about consumerism and your wants is also offensive to God. Both are wrong. There is a way forward that's right. And God walks through the entirety of the Bible. God is defending this thing. Marriage, sex, the beauty, the enjoyment, the fulfillment of it. In order to fully understand it, we have to understand it in light of the whole entirety of the Bible. So we are jumping around a little bit today, but it's for the purpose of showing you that there's a deeper meaning behind sex than just a physical act. So I'm going to turn to a book we don't often turn to, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, depending on what Bible version you have in your hand. And in this, what we get to see is a deeper understanding with some original language. Uh, Greek had four words for love. Anytime you encounter the word love in scripture, I'd encourage you to stop and figure out which love we're talking about. Um, In Hebrew, they actually had nine words. We're going to look at three of them today. Because these three build upon each other, and we see them build upon each other in this book, Song of Songs. Uh, This is a book that is poetry. It's about a young man and a young woman falling in love, getting married, experiencing their honeymoon uh, time period, and then speaking to and about one another. Um, It's a a beautiful book. I would encourage you, uh, if you're not married, to hold off on reading this one, maybe, because it's also descriptive. Okay. So Song of Songs chapter 1, verse 9 says this. And this is the young man speaking. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. Now, we translate into English the words, my darling. But truthfully, the word there is a root word that means love. And the word is this, raya. Raya simply means companionship, friendship. Um, anyone that you would call a friend, you have raya with. You love them as a friend. It's companion, in the beginning of the book, uh, we're told this is where they're at. He's speaking to her and saying, You know, you are an exciting companion in my life. But it's going to continue from there, right? Uh, by chapter three, that has changed just a slight bit. And now the young woman uh, is speaking and she's acknowledging that maybe it's moving from Riah to the next level of love. In verse five, she says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, By the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Now, I'm pretty sure none of us in this room have promised anybody based off of gazelles and wild deer. But it says there, not to awaken love. And at this point, we're not using the word raya any longer. In Hebrew, we're using the word ahava. And ahava means a different kind of love. This is a kind of love that where I'm going to love you even though I see your strengths and your weaknesses. Like I would even say like, I'm going to love you once I see the crazy, all right? Again, you know what this is like. I mean, I'm in the man and I hit this part of our relationship where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag, you know, like, this is how crazy I am. What are you going to like it or not? I did that the first time we hung out, maybe a little early, maybe a little early, okay? My roommate and I's favorite song came on the radio. We were driving back from Taco Bell. I took her out classy, okay? And we pulled over on the side of the road in the middle of Upland, Indiana, and my roommate and I got out of the car and danced to the song. She stuck around, okay? Ahava, <laughs> all right? Like, <laughs> she saw the crazy and said, I'm in, all right? So that's, what took, that's what's taking place in, in chapter three. So by the time we get to chapter seven, They've now experienced their wedding and they've their two have become one. And in verse 10 of chapter 7, it says this. The young woman says, I am my lovers and he claims me as his own. And that word for love that she uses for lovers is now the word dode. And dode means an intertangling of two souls or spirits. Dode is the word that would be used uh, to explain the two becoming one that we find in Genesis that's quoted in Ephesians 5. Like that idea of two people becoming one tells us, that Dode tells us that this is through the act of sex. But it's not just about the act of sex. I'm going to go back to chapter, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 7. I'm going to read a few verses here. And I want you to answer this question. Is What's your readings purely about a physical act, or is it much more? Verse one, this is the young man speaking. And he says, How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of skilled craftsmen. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Between your thighs lies a mound of wheat bordered with lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like sparkling pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabbim. Your nose is as fine as the tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. Your head is majestic as Mount Carmel and the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. This is the only place in scripture where we have a woman who's described from her feet to her head. And I'm just going to say it, gentlemen, this was written a long time ago. Don't use these as pickup lines, okay? <laughs> just don't. Your thighs are around as jewels. Did not work out last night for me. It's not going to work for you today, okay? Just don't do it. Don't do it. But is he describing a physical act of sex and sex alone? No. No. He is absolutely enamored with his bride. I mean, what wife in here doesn't want their husband just to be enamored with them? I mean, completely captivated to the point where he says that king, a king would stop and pause. He's talking about her, her dignity, her, her character, so much more than just the physical act of sex when he describes her. And that's purposeful. Because in the Hebrew, again, that you would never see the word dode without knowing and already having understood that Raya and Ahava existed in that relationship. Because I, I do truly believe that three of these create intimacy. What we know is intimacy. And so it's much more than just sex. It's about pursuing the one who God provided for you as the one who's just Right. It's about more than just the physical act, although the physical act, all of this culminates in that physical act of sex. We know, now we understand all of that. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read some instruction that's given by Paul, but if we don't understand the basis of sex within marriage, then we really can't understand what Paul's referring to and why he's actually addressing these things with the Christians in Corinth. He says this in chapter six. um, I am in the wrong passage. Hold on. Yes, chapter six, uh, verse 15. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says, Two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one with the spirit. You see, the Corinthians had two different issues that were taking place. The first was this, that they were thinking that it was okay to, to, to fulfill their physical desires with a prostitute, to have sex with a prostitute. The problem is, is that you are uh, taking dode and you're entering into that in a relationship that you don't have a lifelong commitment to. And that is not okay because it's not reflective of what God designed for marriage. Again, we talk about marriage being a reflection of God's love for us. God's love for us is lifelong. He's not gonna back down on you. He's not gonna fail you. He's not gonna turn his back on you. The same should be true within marriage. So joining yourself in oneness with a prostitute is not okay. And it was taking place in Corinth by those who called themselves Christians at the influence of the culture, and so Paul writes and says, "This is not what God designed." Why? Because marriage, because sex is supposed to be kept within marriage. That's the first thing he's addressing. The second comes in chapter seven. He says this now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. So, even so, they knew that they probably weren't in the right right uh, sexual relationships, and so they sent a letter to Paul to ask him questions about this. And Paul's answering those questions and he says, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Pointing back to how God created it. Verse three, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come back together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession and not a command, but I wish everyone were as single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So the second issue that was taking place with the Corinth Christians is that those who were married were actually choosing not to have sex in their marriage because they thought it would make them more holy. Who had thought that it would make him more spiritual. And Paul's saying, actually, the exact opposite is what's true. Withholding sex from one another doesn't actually make you more holy. Actually having sex with one another within marriage makes you more holy. It draws you closer to Christ and to each other. And so he says there, very plain and clear, husbands should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to the husband and the husband gives authority over his body over to the wife. Again, this goes back to Dode, this intertwining of spirits and souls. This emotional, physical, and spiritual level that where everything comes together and it comes together within marriage in the act of sex through intimacy. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So Paul says the only reason that you should not be entering into that relationship with your husband or wife is so that you can devote yourself to prayer. Now, let me say this because I'm a married man. I know this is true. Sometimes we withhold sex from our spouse because we want to use it as a weapon. I'm mad. You did this. We're not having sex. Here's what you're doing when you do that. You're letting Satan have a foothold in your marriage. That's what Paul says. Right Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So withholding, other than for prayer... Holding sex from your spouse is actually allowing Satan to have a foothold in your marriage. You're not winning the fight you think you're winning. You're starting a fight that's even bigger than the one you're in currently. In fact, I would go as far as to say is that sex can sometimes fix the fighting issues between you and your spouse. Because it's a connection that does something spiritually, emotionally, and physically for you and for your spouse. And so it's just something to keep in mind as you go about your marriage. But Paul says, it's because of your lack of self-control because he knows our sinfulness. He knows our sinful desires. I think the most beautiful part of a wedding ceremony in my mind uh, is when the husband and wife say, I do. At that point in the ceremony, they're saying two words that are absolutely exclusive to the person they're standing across from. And I oftentimes will remind couples, like, when you say, I do to each other, what you're actually saying as well, at the same time as I don't, to 7.9 billion people on earth. you are saying, none of those people are the people who, is going to, who I'm going to enter in this kind of relationship for this long of my life, for the rest of my commitment, in this deep of intimacy. So for me, that's the most beautiful moment is because you're saying, this is it. This is the person whom I'm going to not only raya, ahava, but also dode to the day I die. I'm going to be in relationship with them this way. That's reflective of what? Of what God created in his love for the church. Which gives further proof that marriage is the only relationship designed to include Sex. And therefore, sex should be enjoyed regularly within a marriage relationship, but not without Raya and Ahava. Not without intimacy. It can't happen without intimacy. It's not just a physical act. It's much more than that. This is the great mystery that God speaks of, right? One person whom God has provided for you in marriage to enter into a lifelong relationship, an emotional, spiritual, and physical level that beautifully honors and glorifies God. And so, before we get to application, I want to go back to our passage because um, he continues and he addresses something that I've been being asked now for three weeks. Was even asked this morning about. And so, I'm going to reread verse seven, and I want to read a couple of verses after that. It says this. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married or to widows and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than burn with lust. I've been asked multiple times about single people. What what would you say about single people? What does the word have to say about singleness? And here's what I would tell you. Paul says, I wish you were single as I am. Now, we know most likely that Paul was married at one time because of the offices he held within his own culture. What happened to his wife, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But at this point, he says he's single. And he wishes for all of us to be single. Why would he wish for us, all of us to be single? Well, because we can devote ourselves to the Lord and the mission of the Lord in an even greater way. But he says, if you can't control yourself, then go ahead and marry because it's better to marry than burn with lust. And so this is what I would say to those of us who are married in the room. Let's be respectful of those who are single that we encounter in our life. There's some people who choose singleness because it's what God has called them to. And that's okay. Actually, that's great. Doing what God's called them to to do. We're about to hit, uh, you know, we're coming up on graduation season. And uh, I was in student ministry for 16 years. And and, uh, there's two questions you can ask a high school senior that just aren't that great of questions. It's where are you going to go next year and what are you going to do? But it's what we all ask, right? Every single one of us in here is guilty of this, including myself. Uh, And the reason that these are bad questions is because they're 18, right? This was my answers when I was 18 years old. I don't know. And I don't know. Got any ideas? (laughs) And people would look at me like, I like, what? I'm like, listen, I got, I got myself out of bed this morning. That was success. I'm 18, right? Like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I have no clue. But what it does is it puts so much pressure and anxiety on our students to know exactly what the rest of their life is going to look like. Can we do that exact same thing with single people? Hey, you dating anybody? Hey, not found the one you're going to love forever yet? Hey, you want me to get you on a dating app? What are we doing? We're, We're forcing them into something that maybe God called them to. We're putting unnecessary anxiety and maybe even frustration in their life when we do that. And so if you have someone who's single in your life, I would encourage you to maybe think about the way you interact with them a little bit differently. Because maybe that's what God's called them to. Maybe they're fulfilling the exact thing God's asked them to fulfill. Maybe it isn't the thing that they actually want to do, but they feel called to do. I just have you consider that as we read this passage today, because Paul says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. So how do we apply this as husbands and wives? This is what I'd say. Husbands and wives make intimacy a priority in your relationship. Intimacy includes all three of these words, raya, companionship, ahava, loving despite the ups and downs of goods and bads, weaknesses and strengths, and dode, the sexual relationship. Intimacy is something that starts like the second you wake up. How do you greet one another when you wake up in the morning? How do you leave each other before you take off uh, for your separate days? You know, what are you thinking about? And how are you, uh, are you texting and checking in on your spouse throughout the day? Like intimacy is built as you go throughout the day. When you get home or when the spouse gets home, how do you greet them? Are you like, you know, I walk through the door. Hey, welcome home. Kid's upstairs. He's yours. You know, like, like I've walked in the house like that before. Like, okay, great. Thanks. I'll go. I'll go deal with that child. Right? Like, Intimacy is about how you touch one another when you're making dinner, the way you look at each other in the evening, what you talk about before you go to bed. It's so much more than just the physical act of sex. And so make intimacy a priority. And remember this time tested truth that's not from the Bible men are like microwaves, women are like ovens, okay? Men heat up fast and quick. Women do not. It takes time. Preheating. Just throw that out there to help you out. Okay. Again, not from scripture, just time tested. All right. <laughs> Young people, that's you guys up here in the front, right? I want you to understand this because this is the way God created it. God created relationships to have three parts, and I've talked about them multiple times. It's the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. And if one of those rises, the other two are going to rise with it. You're not trust me, you're not going to be the first people to ever be able to break this code, all right? This is the way God designed it. And so, I've for 16 years in student ministry told students who are dating a boy or a girl not to study the word of God together exclusively and not to pray together exclusively, because if you raise that spiritual bar, guess what comes right behind it? The physical and emotional And as that rises, it's intended by God to end in sex. Outside of marriage, that's not allowed. So don't start something you can't stop, is what I'd say. Don't start something you can't stop. Don't think you're strong enough to start something that you can't stop. Because marriage is the only relationship designed for sex. And so I'd encourage you to think about that in your dating relationship. And, uh, Please know that, again, there's a lot that goes into that, not just the physical act of sex. I want to say this to those who maybe have messed up in the room. Maybe this is not going well, or you haven't handled this quite the right way, and now after talking about it today, you realize, well, I don't know if I'm even qualified to be in the room. No one, no one has out God's grace. I just haven't. Ephesians 2 tells us, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though while we were dead because of our sins, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Does that mean go sin some more so that the grace, scripture talks about that. No. The truth is, is that there's grace there for those who are ask for forgiveness, seek repentance, and try to live in the grace of God. And so know that today as we wrap up, that you can through asking forgiveness, repenting, you can live through the grace of God and be restored and redeemed. The last thing I'll end where, uh, I'll end where um, Philip kind of led earlier because uh, I looked at the schedule for what we were gonna be, Doing an implanting center and God just led Philip and I to the exact same place in scripture. And so I told him just read Romans 12 because I'm going to read it again at the end because obviously God wants this to be told to you today. So whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, this is true for all of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for being the author, the designer, and creator of all that we experience. Thank you for creating and designing sex. Thank you for creating and designing marriage, intimacy. But as we look at these three words, uh, would you help us to understand the different levels and be able to sense them in relationships? Father, would you protect those in the room who are single from overstepping the bounds which you created? Father, would you be with those married couples in the room uh, to experience the type of intimacy you desired to reflect your love